how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? everybody this is Ryan and this is Louisa and you're listening to sober sex I made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed We are excited to welcome Jessica Graham to the show today. Jessica is a meditation teacher and a sex, relationship, and spirituality guide for individuals and couples. She is also an accomplished actor and director and thrillingly author of Good Sex. Jessica also has long-term sobriety and is generally a joy to be around. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Sober Sex. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for that very kind introduction. Well, we had some good guidance. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Where are you um, talking from today? I'm in Los Angeles. Great, yeah. great, great. And how are you doing? Okay, yeah. Um, we watched a little too much Fargo last night. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's that we're we're watching season four, and um, you know, it reached that point where it's like, all right, we should probably watched enough TV. But I was like, I really want to know what happens. <laughs> so we stayed up for one more. So I'm. You know, just feeling the effects of a little too much screen time yesterday. <laughs> but that's cool to be sensitive to it as opposed to just be like, I wonder why I feel awful. <laughs> like, I know exactly why I feel awful. <laughs> I can make informed decisions in the future, maybe. <laughs> that is a great thing about sobriety in particular, isn't it? You become yeah. more sensitive um, to all of the stuff, including, you know, the things <laughs> that make you feel crappy. Totally. Yeah. They said like you'll feel better, as in like you'll feel more effectively, not actually like good. Although good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Feeling feelings. So, firstly, Jessica, thank you so much for sending us your book, Good Sex. I have cannot tell you. I was texting Louisa in the middle of it, just being like, "Oh my god!" (laughs) Not only is it fantastically written, but I'm just getting so much out of it. Um. And so spot on and informative. And I'm loving hearing the conversational centered way you grapple with the subject. It's really, really engaging. So you mentioned in your book, right at the beginning, um, thank you to your mum for putting creativity first and raising you as so that you could know that you have spots and stripes, which I really love the way you describe that. And I had a very similar experience growing up as well. So can you tell us a bit more about what that looked like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um so both of my parents were, I mean, my mom's still living, but both of my parents were very um, uh, unique, uh, non-traditional in lots of ways, and really artists. That wasn't what they were doing to earn a living, but I would say that they were both artists. And my mom really brought that perspective into so much of what we did. Uh, we were we were homeschooled. Um, I went to this hippie, um, alternative hippie school for a couple years that I think in some ways probably saved my life because it was a really loving and 
consistent and creative environment for me at a time that I really needed it. Um, but for the most part, I didn't really go to school. Um, and so in the early years, when I was still living with my mom, she was my educator and everything was learning. So you know everything from we're going to go and we're going to find flowers and pick a bunch of petals and make a fairy bath and then, you know, learn about, I don't know, I was like reading Mists of Avalon as a little kid. Like, <laughs> just, like, like just a lot of like um, music and art. I remember us having this board game, which was set in a in an art museum and so learning about learning about great works of art and you know being introduced to film I remember before I I may have been able to read a little bit but there was that film in the 80s about Camille Claudel and um, my mom took me to the theater to see it you know it's subtitled and so a lot of what I was taking in was just what I was seeing on the screen because I couldn't necessarily Mm -hmm. read all the subtitles and then I went home and carved a foot out of uh out of wax because she carves a foot in the film she's a you know sculpt sculpts a foot and so it's things like that you know there was just this constant um input of of beauty and creativity and certainly a, a lot of nature and so there was that aspect um my mom also pretty early on um talked to me about you know, that there's all different ways to express sexuality. Um, Mm. We spent my very early months um, living with her girlfriend at the time. And eventually, um, I guess my dad came back and they got back together. And I think maybe the three of them decided that it couldn't be a thruple and they needed to, (laughs) they needed my mom and dad stuck it out for a couple years until my mom left him when I was six. Um, but that story came up when I was around 12, um, because I made some comment about my mom. She, she was looking out the window of our car and she said, oh, that woman's really hot or something like that. And I was like, mom, what are you gay? And she's like, well, actually, (laughs) and she's like, you don't remember, but, and she told me the story. Um, and so it was just really early on that I was exposed to, um, you know, all different ways that one could express sexually. Um, And that's why, interestingly, you know, I was just watching this like queer holiday movie last night and um, I was realizing like, what is it? I said Fargo. Yeah, yeah, Fargo, this queer holiday (laughs) holiday movie called Fargo. Yeah, I didn't mention we also watched a movie in addition to the multiple episodes of of Fargo. but it's, you know, there's this whole coming out aspect of it. And I was watching and I was like, you know, saying to my partner, I didn't really have to do that. Like, I just did what I did. And it was, and I'm very lucky and privileged. I recognize that. Um, but I never felt shame around how I express sexually because I think my my mom was so open. That's and awesome. um I was exposed, you know, to a lot of different ways of being. So, yeah. although it's interesting because I wonder where you got the like, "Mom, what are you gay?" <laughs> and like this kind of, of course, like kind of preteen, and I'm assuming like the like early '90s, like this idea of kind of a social stigma where like kids would say stuff like that, but you were kind of a, a, removed from it because you weren't necessarily going to traditional school. But how did you kind of 
manage like that mentality or like pick up on that mentality and then kind of move into your own like totally shame-free sexual experience. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was early nineties and I was, you know, 11 or 12 and I was in probably the one period of my life that I was really interested in fitting in. Mm. And, um, it was the period that I was at that really cool hippie school. And I kind of went through a whole cycle there where I, when I first started going to that school, I joined in the middle of the year and it was really a big deal because it was a very, it was expensive. And my stepfather was, was sending me and, I don't think I even wanted to go at first. I didn't realize what was being offered. Um, but I joined in the middle of the year and I was like, it's kind of, I kind of probably looked a little like I do now with like wild long hair and like, um, if you could see the rest of my outfit kind of mismatched and, um, you know, clothes from Goodwill, you know, everything kind of a little bit, I was a little bit feral um, and definitely didn't come from the kind of money that a lot of the kids at the school did. Um, and that first half a year, I was kind of on the outside looking in, but I was like, I'm going to get in. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I did, you know, I, I guess I talked my mom into buying me a few gap items and, you know, made friends with the prettiest girl. And, you know, the next year I was kind of the bully, honestly. Um, and I hate to, I hate, I hate that that's true, but there was definitely a year where, um, you know, I wasn't a violent bully, but I was definitely an eye rolling kind of excluding sort of bully. But the cool thing about that school was that they sat us all down in a circle and made us talk about it, you know, and yeah. And again, it, that really shaped me as, as a person and taught me about a, a lot of important things um, because we were even talking about race at that at that time in that school like it was definitely very progressive and um, and so yeah then the, I think the third year that I was there I sort of things kind of softened and I started to return a bit back to um, you know a version of me before I felt like I needed to fit in but it was probably in that second year that I was saying things like mm, you're gay um, and, and, you know, I was also like listening to classic rock and kids were making fun of me. So it was like, I was sort of just trying to like find my, find my place. And I only listened to the new kids in the block for like a couple months. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I'm just like, <laughs> I can't pretend that this is good. <laughs> I've seen Paul McCartney live at this point. I can't pretend this is good. <laughs> sorry, Mark. <and> Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I think I moved through that phase and then there was a little bit more of that. Um, but honestly, I would say drugs and alcohol helped me move out of that phase also because- yeah, Tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I was probably about, I think I was 12 the first time that I got drunk. Um, and it was definitely like an aha moment of like, oh, like more of an aha moment, like mm -hmm. sweet relief. Um, um, felt felt like I didn't need to worry about that fitting in thing anymore, um, mm -hmm. and uh, just felt comfortable in my skin. And it definitely drew me to a different kind of community. You know, um, I started smoking a lot of pot and and drinking a lot, certainly, but like it was more of like a um, it's all good. Like, let's all love each other kind of space and people kind of just doing whatever they wanted. Like people were punk rock and people were hippies and people were 
preppy. We were all, but we all had in common that we really like to get fucked up, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I mean, I also, I'm definitely one of those people. I would say that drugs and alcohol saved my life. Um, I've said that twice now. The school saved my life, drugs and alcohol. I don't know what else, <laughs> some other things too, probably. Many but, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was, I had a, I like to say I was raised by beautiful and terrible wolves, um, and and they were. Um, there's lots and lots of good stuff and some not so good stuff. And um, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, and both sides of the family come from lots and lots and lots of trauma. And so all the things that's include that are included in that, you know, the anxiety and the depression and the various mental illness and the addiction and the abuse and all the things that go with go with generational trauma, and um, so I was a recipient of that as well. And um, by the time I was, you know, 11, I was definitely interested in suicide. Like that was something interesting to me and an option. And I think that uh, I needed some sort of medicine. And I, my parents, you know, weren't in a position to be able to be like, oh, this, this child is suffering. Let's, you know, do something about it. Um, you know, and part of that is because they had something to do with the suffering that was going on. Um, and so, yeah, drugs and alcohol were a really important part of my life and my sexuality, you know, um, they really like it was a big part of my sexuality. So as much as I'm glad I don't drink anymore, um, I have a lot of respect for um, and appreciation for what that offered me. Yeah, I think we both, uh, we we can definitely relate to that. Absolutely. And it's so interesting to hear your, um, I had quite a similar upbringing. I didn't go to alternative school, but I certainly learned so many lessons that I think I mean, really Rose, did like, save you my had, life. Like, six kids in your class. It was still, it was not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it oh, wasn't wow. alternative by definition, but there were 24 children in the entire school. We wow. were in two, but that was just because it was the southwest of England and a tiny little village. But it was very, that was very Christian, but I wasn't allowed to sort of join in. My father didn't want me to wear school uniforms. So I went to school and, and would get sent home from school, not being in school uniform. And it's oblig obligatory in the UK. And I just so wanted to fit in. So it's really funny hearing you being like Louisa highlighting that point of you saying like, what mum are you gay? Because I certainly went through that phase when I went to secondary school and was just like, you guys are dicks. You know what I mean? <laughs> to my parents who were, who were like, they were like, no, we just don't wear shoes because of X, Y, Z. Or, you know what I mean? We're doing this ceremony in a teepee because like, and you have this name because you're also a Beowulf that, you know, and it's like, okay, great. But like, I just want to fit in at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. So I always wonder about how much like drugs and alcohol played such an early part in that. Like we say it saved us. And I think I don't say that lightly. It did because I needed a mask. I need, it was too early for me to be that progressive, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. And I certainly think about that. I'm like, if I want to ever be a mother, you know, what choice do you kind of decide? I'm doing the progressive route or I'm going to do like a combination of all of this stuff at a different time. And I think time appropriacy is really important as well. Like mm. there were moments when I just wanted to fit in. There were moments when like, progressiveness is like was has been so important and is also a huge part of what I cultivated as a spiritual practice as an adult you know 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my mom taught me to meditate um, when Mm -hmm. I was really little. Um, And I can remember, you know, I can remember um, doing it with her. And um, for my sixth birthday, um, I wanted everyone, my birthday party was mostly adults, I believe. And I wanted everyone to just stand in a circle and hold hands and close their eyes and meditate. And there's a picture actually of it. It's amazing um, that it exists. And yeah, so it was like that was introduced and it came back big time when I was older. Um, and there are lots of aspects where like it didn't, you know, that didn't ultimately fit when I was a teenager for me, um, but it, the seed was planted in a really cool way. Totally. I'm now actually working with a meditation. We used to go to these Buddhist retreats. I think I had a retreat as a child with Thich Nhat Hanh and he gave me like this tiny little fucking bowl that I still have. And now I'm working back with one of those meditation teachers from my youth that I knew who's called Kishisaro, who's now disrobed and has this whole thing. Mm. And it's so rad because it's like, I can, I appreciate that now. But at the time I was just like, where are the other children? (laughs) Yeah. Where can we, why do we have to, why has nobody got hair? You know, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? (laughs) I was going to rainbow gatherings as a kid. And like, I I think, I believe he's a controversial um, uh, figure, but Sun Bear, I'm at Sun Bear and he gave me like a a pouch that I still have. I love that. It's amazing that both of you, like, you know, we, we try not to get too kind of 12 step explicit in the, in this podcast, but this idea of like being restored to sanity and like having kind of that being a big part of the spiritual experience, it sounds like both of you have kind of been restored to like a place that you were introduced to in your youth, you know, in a very like pure spiritual space that like looks like meditation and looks like kind of a, the place that we return to to healing you know it's really it's quite something actually like oh yeah but you too luno you had quite you might you went to progressive i mean like, school yeah, right like socialist hippie schools <laughs> i mean yeah i was it was cool but it's and but not necessarily quite as like explicit i mean for me it's like horses and singing <laughs> like, <laughs> nice um, when i think of you i think of horses oh that makes me really happy. I'm like, that's so pure. <laughs> I mean, I think of like DJ and really cool. Like I, no, no, no. I, re- I remember, I remember meeting you whenever that was like 14 was years ago and being like, oh, that person is so cool. Oh my God. How do you guys, how did you meet you two? Through that secret cult. Oh, nice. <laughs> In LA? If this is uncomfortable, we can edit it out. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yes, in Los Angeles a long time ago. And then kind of felt like we got to know each other better through Piper and kind of mm. her passing. And oh. it's, uh, Rose knows about Piper. <laughs> they never I know heard. about her. I feel like she's a real thing. I know. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sorry, you guys. No, I mean, yeah. amazing, like, what a gift to have as part of our path, you know. Absolutely. I was just thinking of her the other day and tearing up. Um, you know, she was a really important person in my life. When she, she was, I was dating her housemate, um, when I, I first moved to LA and started dating her housemate and uh, that's how we met. And then later on at the end of another relationship, I like needed a place for a while and like went and stayed with her for a couple of days. And she's like, she was this really important person at certain um, junctures. And yeah, it's, it's really hard to imagine and remember that she's, you know, that she's not here. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Mm. It's hard to be like in Atwater Village and not be like, I'm going to the farm. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but it's that's a thing, though. Like, you know, we don't know kind of the uh, the path as it unfolds. But this I definitely can credit like my ability to be a woman among women to her, you know, like mm. specifically. I mean, also, I mean, among other people, but I feel like she kind of like <laughs> blasted it, like not even open, but like blew a hole in the wall, <laughs> you know, that kind of allowed this kind of um, like free exchange because it was so intimidating. It was very hard not to have kind of hierarchical relationships with women, you know. Yeah. Gosh. Oh. Anyway. Um, what a powerful goddess indeed. that you guys both have in common. I love that. So we're talking a little bit about um, meditation, and you talk about that in the early part of your book as a key way to build a, a sexual and mindful practice. How did you discover that, apart from the early meditation with your mom and stuff? But, like, yeah, how did that evolve, and how did you discover it? Well, I would find myself doing different spontaneous versions of meditation throughout my life. Like, especially if things were really bad, I would find myself like randomly in a church, like an empty church, just sitting silently or something like that. But it wasn't until um, after I got sober that I really started a, a, you know, dedicated meditation practice. And I, I kind of started because it was like something that was suggested and I was like, meh. All right. I mean, I remember like reading a Pema Chodron book and like attempting to do something that she suggests. And I was very much one of those people. It's like, well, my mind is just too full. I have too much going on in my mind to meditate. And so I thought I probably wasn't very good at it. And then I was introduced to um, the work of Shenzhen Yang, who's one of my meditation teachers. And it just really clicked. Um, I It was about a year into my sobriety and I went to a class that was happening at my then partner's house. And the teacher, who is now a you know, dear friend and has been a colleague, Michael Taft, he accused me of being chicken and said, that's, that's why you never come to the class. And I was like, Oh, really? Okay. Well, <laughs> show up. Exactly. <laughs> and so I did. I showed up and he was teaching a technique of, um, which in my book I call Focus on Self. And it's about deconstructing, basically deconstructing the arising of self, which in this way of working is made of mental talk, mental image, and emotional sensation. And I had kind of a spontaneous experience with it where it was like the first time I did it, I was like, I kept kind of going in and out of sleep, but then I practiced it all week and I came back the next week and things just changed really, really fast. Um, I went from deeply identifying with my mind and my emotions to something really, really different. And it was definitely akin to being unplugged from the matrix. That was the experience. And um, things changed really rapidly as far as how I um, oriented, um, in regard to being a, a person and the world and things just kind of changed fast. And one of the, one of the experiences was that for a bunch of months, I just felt like I was on a low level dose of LSD and like Valium, which was really nice. Um, and everything became very, very beautiful and rich and, um, pleasurable 
And I went on my first meditation retreat and I came out of it and I was like, okay, um, if all this stuff is just so rich and beautiful and delicious, then I bet sex really would be if I brought this kind of new way of being into it. And at that point, um, I had I'd had a very colorful, adventurous sex life and um, I had been checked out a lot. I didn't know that I was, you know, um, and in some ways I had worked around it and I had kind of discovered sort of aspects mm -hmm. of mindful sex even as a teenager. Um, but there was a lot of drugs and alcohol involved in my sex life and a lot of kind of using sex for reasons that now wouldn't make sense, you know, using sex to feel more powerful because I felt afraid or using sex um, to, you know, create some kind of drama in my life because I want it to be distracted. And so when I got, really just before I got sober, I committed to a period of celibacy. And then my first relationship after that period was really, really different. I was really loving. It was also with a with a guy, and I had only been with women for about seven years um, at that point. Um, I'd had boyfriends, but um, at that point, I'd been pretty exclusively with women. And so it was like really fun to like be like, oh, what's this like? And I'm sober, and I feel all raw and weird. Um, and it was really lovely. But ultimately, as I started to explore my spirituality in the way that I was, I really wanted to open up the sexuality piece. And the ways in which I wanted to explore that weren't available in that relationship. And so I started to explore with myself after that retreat that I mentioned. And I brought it into self-pleasure. And I brought it into um, watching porn. And I brought it into reading erotica and looking at um, erotic photography. And I brought it into the way in which um, I moved in my body and the thing, the clothes that I wore. And, you know, I just started to explore my sexuality and sensuality and sexual pleasure on my own and, you know, inviting my partner in, but it wasn't, it wasn't available. And so ultimately that relationship ended and um, the next relationship that I got into was really, really different. And that's where our, that's the partner I'm still with. Um, and I really had a, what I would call a sexual awakening as a result of all of the spiritual practice I had been doing and then matching up with someone who was at a place where that was available to explore. Um, and yeah, and it, it was, it was a pretty phenomenal time for sure. It was like, it was pretty amazing. And, um, and that's what led me to start to write about mindfulness and spirituality and sex because I wanted to read about it and I wasn't finding it except in terms of like a neo-tantra or orgasmic meditation. I wasn't finding myself in it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't finding like um, my flavor um, and I'm not someone who really buys into, um, I want to say buys into, I'm not someone that necessarily, um, feels at home within the construct of a, of a, of a, of a dogma or a doctrine or something like that. Um, I definitely, given, you know, my background and what I come from, like, I kind of need to create my own thing. And that's mm -hmm. been the case in my sobriety as well. Like, you know, it's it's been the case in, in everything that I that I do. And there can be an aspect of that that um, is problematic. I, 
I can be a little too self-sufficient. I can be a little too like not a not a woman among women kind of thing. And that's something that I continue to to kind of find the balance with. But um, certainly when it came to my sexuality and my spirituality, it wasn't going to fit in the container of like tantric sex or orgasmic meditation. Um, and even the little bits of mindful sex I was finding, like it was so vanilla and it was so sort of flowery and so, you know, kid gloves. And I was like, well, what about when what about when you're like giving a blow job and you want to get like mindful about that? Or what if you're having a one night right. stand or what if you know, what if you're having group sex? Like what about all that? Um, and so I wanted to explore that um, from my perspective. So that's why I started writing about it. That's awesome. I mean, and also you use the word unavailable and available. And I think that like, it's, a, it's really an important message that we want to kind of be advocates for this idea of like, um, mindfulness around sexuality and like as we kind of discussed sober sex <laughs> isn't necessarily like for a partner or about a partner although partnership can be a really exciting and beautiful part of like you know relational sexuality but this idea of like that you were able to kind of access a new place sexually with and for yourself um, while in a relationship that wasn't necessarily like giving access to that part. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? Just the idea of like, what did an availability look like and how, like, because I, th I think a lot of people get stuck here, you know, mm -hmm. especially women, you know, uh, maybe, no, that's not true. I, I know a lot of dudes who get stuck here too. But yeah, if you could kind of uh, unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. So, of course, when it comes to sex and sexuality, it's it's complicated for most of us. And unfortunately for so many of us, there's um, that T word again, trauma. Um, and I, I, I know very few people that haven't experienced some level of trauma when it comes to their sexuality. I know a few. Um, and so when we are opening up our sort of sexual expression and exploring it and investigating it and um, awakening in that way, um, we run into that material. And not everybody is either ready or in a situation where they're able. It's kind of like coming out. Like there can be all this like, oh, coming – like coming out yay we're coming out but like there's so many people who simply cannot because mm. actually they could be killed in their country if they do or they can be ostracized from their family and I think you know when we talk about sexual empowerment and sexual awakening to keep in mind that not everybody is in a position emotionally um, you know mentally or literally like physically able to explore those parts of themselves in a in a in a way that's safe, and so um, we, when we have partners who aren't in a a place of availability with that, um, one thing I can say is that it, it that can change, and through doing our own work and exploring our our ourself in the way that I did, it's very possible that we can invite our partner in and that they may come to a place where they're available for that. It's also possible that that could not happen. And there comes a point where we we do have to kind of 
be with well, what's most important to me, right? And for me at that time, it was really, really important to continue to explore this part of myself. Um, it's also totally reasonable to be like, well, what's actually most important to me is having family and you know, having a kid or whatever it is, you know, the, the partnership that we have that might be more important than having a sexual awakening. Um, mm. There's not a, it's not a better or worse. It's just like what feels most mm. alive for you. Um, when I was younger, I definitely felt like, well, of course, everybody, everybody needs to like have the, you know, sexual awakening and everybody needs to do it. And it's like, no, if, if you want to, <laughs> like, if that's something right. you want to explore, if that's your, if that's what's most important to you, I do think that, um, that sexuality gets cut out of spiritual practice, obviously, um, mm -hmm. and religion. And so there is definitely, I definitely feel like it needs to be talked about in explicit ways and explored and made available, but then you get to decide if that's something that you want to explore. And so I think, um, a lot of the reason that people get stuck at that point is actually a lack of communication more than a lack of willingness with their partners. Um, I do work with couples and it's, you know, time and time again, what I see is that people are not asking for what they want and they're not sharing what's true for them. And so of course they're not getting it. Um, and so I would say for sure, uh, be clear that you are expressing what it is <laughs> that you want and that you, you know, are interested in exploring and available for, because if you don't, then you don't know. And if you do totally. express it and you express it clearly and maybe express it multiple times over a series of years <laughs> and like it's not shifting and that's what's important to you, well then, you, you know, perhaps a time to make a decision. And also that your, what your, in, your intentional behavior is is aligning with what you're sort of putting out there because I know that I can say all of this stuff I can be in all of this stuff but if I'm not communicating in that way with my with my husband like it was really there was a moment for me where I was like we had like a stale mate situation going on which I think a lot of couples do in long-term relationships right and I was like I really want us to go to see somebody I really want us to go to couples therapy and there was so much resistance and I felt like the nag and when we do did how it like shifted that but then I realized by my um inability to communicate where I was at with that was was actually holding it us up because I it, there was so much thinking going on and I was like well I was talking about it with my girlfriends I was speaking about it with my therapist I was working I had a fucking podcast about sexual intimacy and sobriety but the last person to find out so if anybody's listening to this I'm like those girls know what they're fucking doing like no we still are you know it still requires communication mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't just mean that I suddenly like, okay, I'm bringing spirituality and mindful. I'm going to set an intention that I'm going to get into bed and then I'm just like close my eyes and hope it's going to be over quickly. Because like if I've given that up, that requires staying fucking present for it. And I don't always want to be present. Like, so I love what you say about there being in, in you know, we can't all do it. We're not all here for it. Do you know what I mean? Time, and that's okay definitely. too. <laughs> and at all times, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and look, you know, there's there's no rush. It's like, I think the only time there's a rush is if you're in a situation where you're, you know, you're in some kind of danger. And then 
And then maybe there's there's a bit more urgency there. Even that, though, like I've been in abusive relationships and I didn't actually leave them until I left them. Um, and so even then, it's like we're going to do what we're ready to do. Um, but as far as, you know, sexual discovery and and exploration and awakening, you know, there's, there's just, there's just no rush and we can't really rush it. I think I'm in my own like period right now of like understanding what my sexuality is today. And, you know, some, I'm supposedly an expert, you know, and like, I don't really use that word to describe myself. Um, but you know, I wrote a book, but that doesn't mean that I'm not still on the, on the journey and like in a whole new territory now. And that's also what happens when you bring presence and mindfulness and, you know, consciousness to this part of your life, it will continue to change just like everything else. It's not going to, it's, you're, when you start to look into what's underneath the hood, um, you start to discover more stuff and like what my sexuality looked like, you know, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, like it's, it just keeps evolving and changing and sometimes not in ways that I love, you know, and then I get to be with that. No, it's interesting that you say that though, because I think that like it's very easy to, and this might have something to do with kind of being in recovery, this idea of like, when I feel one way, that is the way I assume I'm going to feel forever. And that like, you know, especially in this area, like I think there's almost a kind of social or cultural um, norm or expectation that like, you know, all these, this like bad rep of marriage, you know, of like, well, that's the last person you're fucking forever. So therefore your sex life will be boring forever. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like, or the idea that, you know, like that it, it, it does stay the same. It, and I think it, it might stay the same if, as you say, like mindfulness isn't kind of brought in into that area or if we're not checking under the hood or like having a communicative and like elastic desire to grow. And also, I mean, it sounds like you perhaps, but me personally, like I know that the the mere desire to grow in that area isn't always like, I, I want that, you know, I want the desire, but like, we're in a fucking global pandemic, you know, right. everybody's having a weird time. Like the, right. like the, I don't necessarily have the libido I wish I had, you know, or I expect myself to have. And so how to kind of navigate that, like in a relationship with oneself and then also with relationship with another person who's having their own experience. It's like, Oh man, it's like the, I hesitate to use Pandora's box, but it's like, you know, the city under the city that we've just excavated. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. We're in completely uncharted territory. Just boating through it. (laughs) Like, Yeah. And it's weird because like, I don't know. I know that when I bring energy into my relationship and when I allow like the door to be open and I go out and I bring you shit in and when you're just like our confinement in France has been relatively strict and we're in with one kilometer one hour of our place and we've just gone into that for the second every time I say it out loud it feels traumatizing again because <laughs> it's like I forgot from an hour ago but <laughs> it's very strict and it feels like a little box yeah it's a whole thing and there's police outside and you know and so it, the opportunity to be bringing that fresh energy looks very fucking different for me right now. It's like, hi, I'm in this room. <laughs> hi. <laughs> I don't know. 
what do you think of the, you know I don't get to do that thing that I did before which were those box of tricks I had before to to spice things up which is sounds so fucking lame but I mean kind of bring fresh energy into it which was I guess was my my hand of cards which I was playing before mm. Mm. um so kind of to pivot the conversation can you tell us uh, and our listeners some tips you have for bringing awareness into your body around differentiating between emotional sensations and the non-emotional ones and why this is important? Because I know you discuss this in your book and I think it's kind of pertinent to like how, so how do we bring fresh energy in during a time that everything feels pretty, pretty static? Yeah. So the way that I was originally taught to work with body sensation is that there are sensations that are purely physical. So, um, you know, for example, I have my little dog on my lap right now and I can feel um, his fur on my fingers where I'm touching his head and I can feel um, the weight of his head, um, which is very light. His whole body is only six pounds. So his, what his, kind his, of dog is he? Uh, he's a, a terrier Yorkie mix. He's a little Aww. rescue dog. He's like, he's seven and he's, I had no idea the love. I just let me let me just say that's been an awakening for me getting this dog. <laughs> oh my god! Um, but I can feel you know I can feel the weight of his head on my leg and the warmth of his body, and I would say those are you know those are all physical sensations. But then there's also associated with my little dog <laughs> on my lap is like the warmth that I feel in my face and the sort of smile feeling, and then this like heart feeling that's really intense. Like I seriously have had oxytocin overdose for like since April when I got him. Um, so I can feel like this like spreading in my heart. Um, I can feel like a kind of tingly sort of feeling going up my arm from where I'm touching him. And I would say that all of those feelings are more of an emotional flavor. And, you know, we could go through and name them like there's joy and there's love and there's you know, you know, comfort or things like this. Um, and so that's really the case with, you know, anything we're experiencing physically, they, they can be, um, kind of taken apart in that way and looked at as, is this something that has an emotional flavor or is this something that's purely physical? And this can be really helpful because, um, well, for me, there was a real unwinding of emotion that needed to happen. There were a lot of unfelt emotions that were really just like these steel blocks inside my body and as <laughs> I started that at all clearly <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's like you know it's something that it's a thawing out right and an unwinding that can happen and definitely just ex taking out the option of of you know anesthetizing ourselves with drugs and alcohol can can help but for me the going in and really sitting with and being with in an embodied way, the emotional sensations was a really powerful way to start. Um, well, first of all, just experiencing a whole new part of my humanity because I'd mostly li been living in my head as, as most of us do, you know, in thought. Um, but there was also, that was also the beginning of my trauma recovery journey was just sitting with some of this stuff and I would just spontaneously start shaking or just all kinds of body movement would happen. And that's, you know, the Sanskrit word for that is Kriya. Um, and some traditions will tell you to don't let it happen. Some traditions will heighten it and try to encourage it. I just learned to just kind of like 
allow it to do what it was doing and be present with it. Um, and so, th yeah, the, the being with emotions piece was, was really huge for me. Um, and being able to see the difference is helpful. And the, one of the reasons I'll mention is that when we're having really intense emotions, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, that can be very triggering for a system that is wired um, by trauma. And so being able to go to something that's not emotional, a resource, is really, really helpful. Um, and I, I found that and I continue to find that to be a really important tool. And I, it's something I offer to everyone I work with is you can go to a place where there's not a lot going on, where maybe it just feels relaxed. Um, and so that's, that's helpful in a lot of ways as you're, you know, as you're navigating all the, all the things that might come up in, in sexuality, including the things that might come up around um, desire level and maybe difference in desire level with partners or maybe a dropping away of desire because we're in a global pandemic um, to be able to be with, um, you know, what's coming up emotionally around that and offering that acceptance. I mean, that's always going to be a, a good thing to do. And then to perhaps start to cultivate pleasure in the body and lean into that pleasure, that can start to wake things up as well. Um, so a pleasure sensation probably has a, for most people, is going to have a combination of a, of a purely physical and an emotional. And to be able to kind of encourage that in your body and spend time in that, in your own pleasure, whether that's sexual or otherwise, throughout your day, will most likely open you up for, for more connection, even if, you know, even if that's just purely sensual connection with your partner. That's so helpful. Mm. <laughs> so helpful. And I'm so, so glad. Nice. Yeah, it's so nice to hear you talk about it too. Because, like, like, listeners, we're on Zoom. We can't see Doug in lab. But as you talk about him and as you kind of describe the emotional sensation specifically, it actually transmits really clearly, like yeah. empathically <laughs> through the Zoom conversation. Yeah. It's so, and it, it it's really like a lovely thing to kind of be able to hold space for, bear witness for, and kind of experience this, like, the clear love that you're kind of cultivating with that and yeah mm. I mean especially I think when the idea of like sex can feel like a big idea but then just kind of as you say like cultivating presence acceptance and like enjoying having a body <laughs> like yeah whew, I mean it I feel like that only happened for me like this year, <laughs> like 14 years sober. I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. I started doing more yoga or whatever and kind of like, I was like, oh man, like I feel really good <laughs> for the first time ever, you know, because mm -hmm. like it can take so long to kind of get okay enough to like trust the body and to trust the emotional process. And that's beautiful that you kind of have a, not, not a shortcuts the wrong word, but like essentially a kind of masterclass of being able to streamline that process. It might, it might not mm. take somebody else fucking 14 years. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think an important thing to mention with that is like, my guess is that you had a, a version of feeling good in your body and it's just, you're more in touch with it now. I mean, I really see this stuff as, as a spiral and I, I don't know if that's true for you, but I know for me, like I, you know, when I get more in touch with my body, I'm like, oh, so this yeah. is embodiment. This is actually listening to your body. This is self-care. This is, you know, but I thought that 
a year ago and five years ago and 10, you know, it's like, totally right. <laughs> it's like, it's just a yeah. deeper layer. And I think, you know, I think it's important because we can get a little, um, when we're in the, in the world of like self-discovery and development and recovery and healing that we can get a little bit on a track of like, okay, when I get there and then we, we get there and then it's like, we've, <laughs> we readjust. And so to just like, see, okay, we actually all along the way have been having these experiences of awakening, of healing, of recovery. Um, that, and that's, that deserves, deserves honoring, I think. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And thank you for the reminder. Oh, beautiful. That like, yeah. oh shit, it is actually like progressive as in like <laughs> a constant incremental progress and then some occasional kind of awakening points. But and yeah. thank God, beautiful. right? Because oh we would go oh. insane otherwise. <laughs> like, I mean, I could... You said you said you were, said felt like you were on acid for like three months. Yeah, yeah. I want that. In recovery, Where'd you get that one? This is pretty What's great. that exercise? <laughs> this is pretty great. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely have gotten more high on meditation than I ever gotten any drugs for sure. Um, so whatever that there's that but you know also, <laughs> also there's just sitting you know there's just sitting there and also there's periods where I haven't meditated as much and some of those periods have been because I needed to not meditate as much because when you meditate for hours a day it does change reality and it can become challenging to um to function in this world <laughs> and so there's definitely been periods where I'm like I gotta lay off this yeah. stuff integration <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> But that's awesome because I don't feel like people talk about it a lot, you know? It's like there's always this like striving to do like be more spiritual. And you're like, actually, I kind of have to like be a little bit more like earthly and practical. Yeah. Yeah. There's there, the integration word is a big one and and just becoming more human. Like that's what I'm interested in. I'm – I definitely know people whose spiritual path is is about – ultimate transcendence and maybe even to the point where they choose to become monastics. And I, I respect and admire and see, see the value in that. And for me, I feel like I'm here to be a human being and to be with other human beings. And, you know, I mean, even like how you just described, like feeling the experience of my dog on my lap, like we're, to me, it's like, we're supposed to be connected. Like we're wired to connect. And, um, and that's where we have the most challenge and suffering. And so for me, it's like I wanna I wanna get as human as I can and help other people be as human as they can be. And part of being human is sex and sexuality, whether whatever your sexuality looks like, including asexuality or celibacy, there's still that element of your humanity. And so yeah, that's one of the reasons I work in this realm is because it's it's an area that we we don't look at or we look at in really specific ways and we miss out on this whole aspect of being human. Um, so yeah, for me, like transcendent experiences are awesome, but when I can just sit and like be and like feel the weight of my dog's head on my lap and just be like, here I am connecting with two amazing human beings, like that's really where it's at, I think. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's palpable. That's <laughs> beautiful. Really. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about your um, open-eyed love practice? Yeah. So um, I definitely was someone who, if eye contact was made during sex, I would do the whole like look away, kind of like <laughs> sort of like bury my head in some way, you know? <laughs> just like it was this awkward moment which is 
it's so interesting because like we're we're in each other's bodies and like you know and like not looking yeah god forbid you make eye contact (laughs) yeah yeah but I I get it because that was definitely my experience um and again something that drugs and alcohol helped with you know I could be more I actually could be in a certain way more connected in another way more Mm. checked out but um Mm. I didn't feel that as much of that fear of connection um So when I started kind of my journey of mindfulness and sex and all of that, um, I read a book that was recommended to me by like several elders, several women who, who I, you know, admired and were mentors to me. And it's a passionate marriage by Dr. Snarch. And, uh, it's, I really recommend this book to really to everyone, but certainly if you're in committed relationship um, or even a non-monogamous relationship. There's just really good stuff in there. Um, And I read that book and somewhere early on in it, he talks about open-eyed orgasms. And I was like, oh, hell no. Um, But then I was like, (laughs) oh, hell yes. Like, this is an edge. I got to like, because I was very much into like, okay, what's my edge and how am I going to power through it early in in my practice? I'm much more gentle these days. But um, I decided... I, this we were going to do this, but you know, as I said, like my partner was not really interested, like, my, and understandably so. Like here I am, like now we are going to gaze into each other's eyes as we have sex, and like I have all this unresolved trauma, they have all this unresolved trauma, and I'm like, uh, you know, like staring to each other. Of course, of course, that, that interest wasn't there, um, but I was very interested, and I really did want to. Um, explore it. So one thing I did is I um, practiced open-eyed orgasms in the mirror, connecting with myself, um, which is pretty trippy too. You look in a mirror long enough wow. and add in orgasm, it gets, a little, <laughs> it gets a little wild. Um, and all the mindfulness, you know. Um, Listeners, homework. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So when I got into the relationship I'm now in, it was just sort of like not even a question. Like it's like, of course we're looking into each other's eyes. Like that's just where, that's just where he was coming from. Like it would have been weird if we didn't. And I was like, okay. Like so, the bar was raised, and I was like, all right, okay. Um, and yeah, at first, yeah, there was definitely like fear around it. But um, and what comes up for a lot of people is the fear of like if I if I open my eyes, then I'll lose, like, quote unquote, lose my orgasm. Um, because for a, for a lot of folks, we're very, very focused on, you know, maybe just on the genital area, just on whatever story we use um, in the mind in order to get ourselves to that point, or um, a lot of a lot of tension, or, you know, for some people, for, you know, for people with penises, there could be the fear around, um, you know, coming too quickly and so they might be like thinking about you know there's that old one of like think about baseball which i just think is ridiculous <laughs> unless baseball like really is really hot to you like you just love those right. those baseball guy butts <laughs> they're <laughs> you know like in their baseball whatever um <laughs> so um in the uk our version i think is like think of the queen. I, I don't know how it became this no think of think of teaspoons or something Teaspoon. It's really. Cool, right? I know. I'm it's really weird. Anything. No kink shaming. <laughs> like, See, yeah. teaspoons makes me think of teabagging. 
Right. Um, I but, mean, yeah, whatever your thing is, if it's teaspoons, like, great. How do these things come up? I'm just curious. I want to know where the stories are, if anybody knows. I think the mother-in-law one is is really weird, though. Yeah. Again, unless that's your thing, in which case it's not. But I mean, based on the amount of weird incest porn, no, no, again, no kink shaming, incest porn, (laughs) that, you know, familial relations seems like actually not that far off the point. I mean, not for me personally, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah. The forbidden fruit of the (laughs) mother-in-law. Exactly. (laughs) Rose just looks so grossed out. I love my mother-in-law, but it's not going to help. <laughs> well, in any case, oftentimes we're somewhere else, right? Um, whether that's like really hyper-focused on on orgasm or, you know, what, and so opening the eyes, it's like, it's like, oh, here we are, we're present now. And that can, you know, if you have a certain way that you climax and that's the one way that you climax, it can feel like you're interrupting something and losing losing your orgasm but um you can acclimate and you can learn to be present with your body and be present with another person i do want to say that i'm not suggesting that every time you have sex that you are deeply gazing into your partner's eyes i mean some positions won't allow for that you know um right uh, right <laughs> craning your neck you know having yeah. your chiropractor oh. <laughs> and, and we can do that right we can take this stuff too far it's like okay now this is the right way to do it so i have to do it this way and i'm not at all not at all but isn't it nice to have options and flexibility totally and so that's for me ultimately the the, the open eye sex or open eye orgasm is actually more about flexibility and options like yes there's the the beautiful connection that can come from that and the depth that can come from that and the intimacy or just the hotness. Like you can be having some wild, you know, fling and, you know, just staring into each other's eyes. It can be super hot and sexy and even like aggressive in a sexy way. Um, But it doesn't mean that that has to be the only way that you have sex. And so it's, it's about having the option and the flexibility and being able to, come in contact with, well, what does arise when I open my eyes? Maybe what arises is I actually don't even want to be having sex with this person. And I'm closing my eyes because it's the only way I can do it. And that's mm-hmm. important information to have. Truly. Right? Like that, mm-hmm. That's important to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like you're talking about like different potential tools for getting present and grounded in the body or grounded in connection and communication. <laughs> like uh, if the goal is healthy sexual evolution then these might be helpful to pick up and if the goal is not healthy sexual evolution keep your eyes closed baby <laughs> like you know it's actually a really good point because um like i wrote this article once uh, mindfulness ruined my sex life or mindfulness killed my <laughs> sex life or something like that <laughs> because there is a thing i mean you get present and conscious and you wake up around something there can be a disillusionment you know? Um, and if, so if your thing is like, I really get a lot of, I get high off of sex and I'm not actually saying that's a a bad thing. I know it can be for some, but there, what an amazing experience to get high off of sex, right? If that's your thing and you start getting present and conscious around your thoughts and your emotions, it's going to change the experience depending on how deep you dive if you if you dive deep then really everything starts to shift because it's like um 
if this is created out of thought and emotion, sensation, you know, this phenomena, and this is impermanent phenomena that's arising and passing, and that's just an activity, I can't hold on to it and call it solid and say, that's me. Mm, um, right. And so the ability to get high off of really anything, it, it can, it just slips away more and more and more until really something else bubbles up, which is not based on a fixed Leading. self in a fixed location. It becomes a really different thing. Um, but mm. it, it will, it will change, um, the, the way in which you, um, the way in which you engage with all these aspects of self. And so I definitely used to really enjoy the high of, um, you know, new relationship energy when, you know, mm. everything's just all like, oh, like I just, I'm, I, I know I'm on the freeway, but I'm, I just have to keep texting and I have to try to somehow send a sexy selfie while I'm like, you know, in this work meeting or <laughs> whatever it is, you know, like, and it's just so like, ooh, it's so alive and it's very human. Um, but that went away for me. Mm. Um, I don't, experience it in that same way anymore um and that was maddening too i mean because like like any kind of addiction the chasing the high in that way is so intense <laughs> it's so exhausting at a certain point it is yeah and but it- i had to really let go of that notion that that's that part of any consistently continuous relationship is sustainable like that slow sex TED talk just sort of like totally ruined that whole thing for me in a really good way. But again, not, not everyone's cup of tea. Like, I mean, yeah, at all, yeah. You know. it's definitely a different, it's, it's, it, it goes counter to a lot of the way that our culture is, you know, it, it's, it's a really, a really different thing to, uh, just to slow things down, whether that's literally slowing them down or something, something else. Um, but yeah, we're we're definitely into instant gratification and more and more and more and like what what next extreme experience can we have? And there there's some there's a different way to live. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that incorporating sex into that different way to live because again, like spirituality can kind of exclude sexuality, you know, as you mentioned, that it goes both ways, right? Like the more kind of in touch I get with like what's actually going on and kind of being embodied and mindful and present. Like, as we mentioned with recovery or sobriety, like you feel better (laughs) and it can look like, I feel like I have a new access to my ability of what I actually want and what I actually like. And if it's not happening to know that it can be very painful, you know, to be like, Oh fuck. Like I, I wanted, I want to want this and I I don't have Mm -hmm. access to it right now, you know? And, and I know for me to be in a relationship that feels really like has a new level of safety and intimacy. So that can actually be felt like there's enough room for it. It's really fucking intense sometimes. <laughs> it's like, oh man, like I want, I wanted that level of intimacy to like give me access to just like hot fuck all the time. <laughs> it's like, actually you're feeling your feelings. Man. <laughs> <laughs> your body might be totally shut down when it comes to you know that that can certainly happen you know we Ta-da. start to get into this kind of material and then it's like the body's like nope <laughs> not going gotta there stay with us for a while I'm out. <laughs> i mean yay um so as we mentioned uh, in addition to being an author and an expert or 
exploring in this. Yeah, explore, explorer. I'm an explorer. explorer. I love yes. that. Explorer <laughs> in the spiritual and therapeutic domain. You're also an actor and a director. So we're curious as to how your sexual self interacts with or informs your creative self or vice versa, or if it's there's like literally no differentiation. Probably the the, the last no differentiation in, in, in a way, because I do think those energies are the same. I think creative energy and sexual energy is one and the same. Like if you think about when you're like really super in love, you know, those, those first flesh feelings, um, there can be a real sort of, um, outpouring of creative energy. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same thing when, uh, you're, you're blocked up in one of those areas, it can feel like you don't have access to Mm -hmm. either. And so I do think, I do think they're one in the same, and I do think they can also be, um, interestingly channeled. Um, I was, uh, I first really learned about this through a Buddhist nun at a at a meditation retreat, and I was having this period of my exploration where basically I was just like turned on by everything, and I was in a monogamous relationship, and um, and I basically just wanted to fuck everyone, and. <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, because sobriety, you know, that allowed, that allows me to not, not cheat on all, all the time. Right. Um, anything about it's amazing. That. It's just amazing how I've never, um, you know, had a, I'm, I'm not strictly monogamous, but I've never had un unethical non-monogamy after I, after I stopped drinking. Like it's a, just what an interesting coincidence. Um, like I feel like that that's not necessarily true for everyone. And that's like mm. a total fucking gift because same, yeah. you know, despite yeah. like yeah. being same. totally incapable of that prior to sobriety. Oh yeah. my God. Ever like ever being in a relationship and not accidentally just being like, I didn't, but we fucked, but we, I didn't kiss. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. I didn't kiss that one. Oh, I know that one. Justification was just like, with just a hand, you know, and just trying to run it through. And now I just don't have to deal with that shit. Isn't it great? Isn't <laughs> it great? And the it other is. thing, it allowed, I mean, for me, in my case, it allowed me to get in touch with parts of myself that had been only allowed out in that context. Like, well, what is it like to act if if being with other people is something that's important to me? What is it like to do that in a in a conscious, present, ethical yeah. way? And, and to ask for it out, out of self-love as opposed to be a, like a sneaky asshole. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, mm, oh, creativity. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, so this Buddhist nun. So um, I was, I was in this phase of just everything was like, everything was sex to me. Um, which can happen, you know, when you're doing a lot of meditation, you can have these sort of, um, I don't want to say purge cause it's not like something to get rid of necessarily, but it's like, you can like, I've, I went through like violent thoughts. I'm not at all a violent person, but like just lots of like dark, violent thoughts and lots of sexual thoughts, just kind of like this deep unconscious material, just kind of maybe even like collective unconscious material releasing. Um, but I told her, you know, I was on this retreat and I was like, you know, I just keep having all this sexual energy and sexual feelings. And she was like, yeah, it took me about 10 years of being in the monastery before I stopped. <laughs> you're like, you're the best. <laughs> Will you be my sponsor? Amazing. <laughs> exactly. Like, you're <laughs> rad. And she was just like, she's like, you know, um, it's fine. It's okay that the, that's there. She's like, just don't engage in the don't don't do anything and don't engage in the thinking like engage in the energy 
oh my god that's so wise wow. how did you do that well i mean it it made sense to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> it made sense to me kind of intuitively um and it, it you know but there are a lot of different practices you can do like and some of them you know more uh, tantra based but for me it was just like just getting that permission to like okay the, the there's nothing wrong with the energy the feeling um now and then she was like direct it towards creativity direct it towards something creative you're a creative person and and it just it just clicked it just made sense and so um i i I recommend exploring that, especially, especially let's say you are someone who has a lot of challenge not being, um, a lot of challenge being faithful in a relationship that's monogamous. Um, get in touch with the energy, get in touch with the feeling, the movement in your body. And then think about like, that's like fuel. What else could you direct that towards? If, you know, having sex with someone else is not part of the agreement of your relationship. Where could you, where could you point that? And there's, you know, endless places because everything's creative, you know, an Excel spreadsheet is creative. Um, it's so it, you don't need to be a filmmaker or an actor or an artist or whatever. We're all artists, I think. So, um, just I agree. where do you yeah. want to direct that energy? That's so helpful. That. <laughs> it explains my last album. <laughs> oh, like, cool. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think I do think that like we, we've discussed it here before, but this idea of like uses of the erotic is like a very kind of important touchstone. Sex magic. Sex magic. We're obsessed with sex magic. <laughs> Actually, let's I learned about it asking people about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this question? I was like, I was like, Louisa, am I asking? Okay, here we're going. Sex magic. But this is fucking sex magic defined isn't it yeah Mm. and then you get to decide like what package you want it in like if you want it in a package that's like jade egg yoni you know gazing like great if you want in a package just like this is some energy i'm gonna focus it in this way like you you can take this stuff and you can make it work for you 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 don't unless what you like is to move into a space that's already been cultivated for you which is beautiful and great for me i'm just you know i'm more of a rebel (laughs) yeah i want to do my own thing and so like um, yeah and at the same time honor where all this stuff comes from you know and Mm. it doesn't come from white people that's for sure (laughs) (laughs) so prude (laughs) can you talk about the demon so the demon being the little girl under the bed experience or the so, demon being yeah tell me when you say demon. the the, uh, the context in which i was referring jealousy. it to yes yeah jealousy how can you tell Just i'm like i don't want to say it because it feels like that word i don't like to say <laughs> yeah um yes i do talk about jealousy as a, as a demon and 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 that you know we we need to put our head in the mouth of the demon um and totally uh, accept and embrace all the feelings of jealousy while not acting a fool. Um, so jealousy is something, something that I've noticed is in, in like, uh, polyamory or ethical, ethically non-monogamous communities, there can be this idea of it, like somehow being less than to experience jealousy. And I'm like, no, like it's so human to experience jealousy. Um, and we need to be with it and explore it and, you know, bring all this sort of consciousness to that as well. Um, so gel, it sucks to feel jealous, but it's also an amazing teacher. 
um, I, I always had a lot of jealousy and I was always embarrassed by it. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be jealous. And I think there was also a part of me that's like, because I was a chronic, uh, cheater, like there was also like, a, it was complicated because I I'm doing this thing, yeah, but the double standard is, yeah, <laughs> you should not. <laughs> right. I don't want you to be jealous. Uh, so I can't be either, but I am. And then it would come out in, you know, weird, awful ways. Um, and obviously get in the way of intimacy and connection. And so the way that I learned to work with jealousy is much what I've already described of deconstructing the experience, you know, noticing, okay, what is this jealousy made out of? It's made out of images in my mind often. There's often a lot of images mm. associated with jealousy, but it's also words and then it's sensations. And it all feels so unbearable. But if you take it apart into pieces and you witness it and explore it and observe it in a kind way, it's just not so powerful. It's like a divide and conquer kind of thing um, or divide and love. Um, and uh, and so that's the the basic foundational practice for working with it. But then there's also what is that jealousy actually about? For most people, it's there's an abandonment fear in there and a rejection fear and like really like deep primal stuff that f for me anyway came from like really early life experiences. Um, and so we need to also bring a lot of love and compassion into the process because if we're experiencing jealousy, we're probably experiencing like something that goes deep into the roots of 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 potentially trauma. And so um, it's a combination of a really radical self-love and compassion and then also the deconstruction, which is, a, you know, a little drier, a little less, you know, um, a little a little less cozy but that combination i find to be very powerful um for me uh working with jealousy was transformative um because there was so much abandonment stuff in there and i definitely there was definitely a before and after so um when i started to really consciously explore non-monogamy um i faced it you know um and i I, it was very important to me to go into it and to feel it and to experience it and to wake up around it. And so as much as it was really painful um, and not necessarily graceful um, all the time, the, the the acute jealousy and the mindfulness being brought to it, it, it rearranged things for me. So when I kind of came out the other side, I, I felt differently um, in sort of a cellular way because there was a kind of healing that had happened. And you do not need to practice non-monogamy to do that. We, you know, we experience jealousy all the time. You can um, explore it as it comes up. For me, it was like a, you know, go into the fire because that was definitely my my way of doing things then. Um, and it was fruitful. I mean, I definitely came in contact with parts of myself that really needed to be seen and loved and mm. healed. Um, and you know, I don't know that I could have done it that efficiently without going, going that route. Right, um, yeah. but again, I, I, I work a little differently these days. <laughs> I mean, but that's really, it. I, I'm, I'm curious as to what your present experience of jealousy is in that case. Cause I definitely, like, I think I speak for us both when it, it's, it's much like the kind of erotic energy you talked about where like everything is sex. It's, there's so much energy there. You know, when it comes up, it can be very scary to kind of feel <laughs> in contact with at all, you know. So it makes yeah. sense that the ideas of like shame or guilt or fear or like anger come up 
as kind of guardians around it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing I can say is that um, I've done extensive trauma recovery work and it is, it's a, it's a big part of the work I do with other people. Um, I refer out to therapists as well, but um, sexuality and spirituality and trauma kind of tend to come together. And so I do a lot of work around that, but I've done a lot of work. And so one thing that I can, I notice is if, if I have the, the whisper of a trigger response, because they used to be really big and jealousy would be the thing that would trigger them. So, um, I would get jealous, you know, my partner wants to have tea with someone, right? Okay. I, get jealous and that would translate into a into a full PTSD response shaking uh freeze i did a lot of my brain wouldn't work um my arms and legs hands feet would get freezing cold because all the blood was rushing to my major organs to like because it thought i was dying i would vomit i would have diarrhea or i would get constipated like i would have the full deal um because i have PTSD um and now that does not happen um but i can f i because a lot of work but i can feel like maybe just like a teeny tiny like internal tremor in one of my legs mm -hmm. or you know something happening with my voice or my throat or you know um a little bit of a wobbly feeling in the stomach and then i'm like okay there's some something's happening here so whatever it is i'm feeling, you know, whatever the emotion is, but let's say jealousy around, got to pause and work with that before really even leaning oh, into yeah. what's happening yeah. with the jealousy. Um, and so it's very subtle. I'll say that it's very subtle these days. Um, but I think, again, any myth around like, if you practice non-monogamy, you're not jealous. It's just not true for most people. There are some people I've come across who just don't experience it. Um, but just because you make a conscious choice to like let your partner fuck someone else doesn't mean you're not going to have any feelings about it. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I've been in and out of, uh, you know, I've been open and closed in my relationship. It's been a 10 year relationship. So there's been, I've been able to explore the different, different elements of it. And, you know, more recently closed, um, and monogamous. And I found that there was a transitional period from, okay, we're, con you know, we're open and other people are involved to, okay, we're not now. And then this sort of jealousy actually came back in, in a way, because like, and I had to re kind of re-examine it because there was a sort of safety in the freedom yeah. and a sort of safety in the permission. And now it's like, well, wait a second, that's not the agreement anymore. Well, what if, something happens that we didn't agree to. Um, and then I got to kind of re-encounter that. Um, you know, it was a super uh, light version compared to what I had explored in the previous. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like that spiral thing again, right? Like we can come back around. Um, yeah, totally. But I, I, again, relate so differently to my thoughts and my emotions than I did five years ago or even one year ago or 10 years ago. So it's like when these experiences arise, it's it's being experienced in a way that um, is much less prone to suffering. Hmm. That's so and again, beautiful. that's just practice. That's yeah. not magic. That's just practice. I just happen to practice this a lot. <laughs> but again, like because you've done consistent practice and been working with it as it comes up for that long, it's like, oh, shit, they're like, there's an ascendance there where – like it doesn't feel it, it doesn't feel like it can't be felt anymore, which is like 
what an epiphany, you know, that all things can be felt and mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, no feeling is final. No, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great reminder. Are you currently working with a sex ideal? With a sex ideal? Um, you know, right now I would say my sex ideal is is purely kindness. <laughs> Um, I work with a lot of other people on their sex ideals, though, um, and it's, it's a still a pretty good thing. one. I mean, pr- purely kindness is a lovely. Sex yeah, purely idea. kindness is. Yeah, I would say that's the ideal. I would say you know that's the intention and the ideal when it comes to most aspects of life, but definitely when it comes to sexuality. I, you know, I my book came out, um, and it was a you know there it was a probably like a it was a high point a lot of people would say you know my book came out i was working on several really cool film television projects and you know i was traveling and it was just this like you know amazing time right but what was also happening at the same time was i was going through a major health crisis and um that I'm still in and out of. And, um, and I, I dealt with chronic pain and chronic illness since I was a child. And again, trauma will, will create these, these things. And they certainly did for me. And I just hit this point where I was expecting way too much of my body. Like my book launched in LA and then I got in an Uber and went to Palm Springs to shoot something that night. Like it seems insane to me now, but at the time, that's what I thought I needed to do. And my body was not up for it. And I had actually been in the hospital the year before and I was in and out of urgent care. And my body was just going downhill. Um, And I'm in a different place now. I've completely rearranged how I live, for one. Um, But something that came up with that is that it really changed the way that I operate sexually. It really changed my relationship with my sexuality and, you know, with my partner and what sex looked like. I I got in trouble, um, got in trouble at a speaking engagement because I didn't really read the crowd. Um, (laughs) I I started the talk saying, you know, I want to lead with vulnerability. And I'm someone who a couple years ago had multiple partners and fucked like a porn star. And now um, I hardly ever have sex and I have one partner. (laughs) And, um, you know, they didn't like the the P word. People get very triggered by the word porn. Um, But it was, it's true. Like I was it was, it was my extreme sport. Like it was my hobby and, um, and it had been for a long time for well before mindfulness, you know, and my body cannot do what it used to do, at least at this point. And there, um, there can be pain that uh, follows sex. And so I'm, (laughs) it's like, is it worth it? (laughs) Like kind of question. And so, um, it is a continuing journey you know, and Hmm. my, so my ideal looks really different. Like it used to be like freedom and fun and excitement and like, you know, and it's been different things over the years, but right now it's like, um, kindness really. Like, how can I be kind Hmm. to my body? How can I be kind in a, in a situation that's like challenging at times because, um, you know, wanting to connect or not wanting to connect because of, of dealing with chronic pain is, you know, that's, Mm. that's challenging. That's, 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 uh, that's tough on a relationship for sure. Um, and so definitely kindness seems to be the, the most, the most powerful ideal when it comes to that kind of thing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's super beautiful. I mean, just to have that as like 
the north you know <laughs> like the yeah. idea yeah. that we're marching towards i think it's a, it's really refreshing and like truly like beautiful so thank you there's this poem yeah. by naomi shayab i might be pronouncing her last name wrong it's it's called kindness and i remember coming across this poem um before all of this or before I was really awake to all of this, before really things were in crisis, um, which they're not anymore. Like I'm, I'm mu doing much better, but, um, but I remember reading that poem and it, it talks about how, you know, it's only when everything is stripped away that you really understand what kindness is. And I remember like reading that poem and it's making me emotional to think about it, but reading that poem and being like, this is true and I know it's true, but I don't actually know it's true yet and I'm going to know it's yeah. true. <laughs> and that's what I feel like the last couple, you know, the last, I don't know, several years, really since before the book came out because it started before the book, but um, have been about like really understanding what kindness actually is. Um, and it's super humbling and and beautiful. And I know that without these experiences, like I, I couldn't be of service to the level that I'm able to, you know, so I'm grateful and, and sometimes it sucks, you know, it's like a combination, but that, it, right? yeah, yeah. But that poem just like really, um, describes this process of like, how does I, how does kindness become an ideal in that way? Um, so I, I recommend checking it out for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. We'll definitely check that out and put it in the show notes yeah, as well. And Passionate Marriage by Dr. Snarch. Passionate Marriage, yes. <laughs> very excited yes. by the reading materials you've given us mm -hmm. this this very wonderful 90 minutes. And um, as we're winding down, um, we are going to do a lightning round. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, to kind of let us float out of this beautiful conversation you've had with us. So, um, yeah, don't, thank you. don't think about it too hard. <laughs> Go with your gut. What is your okay. favorite snack? Popcorn, but I'm not actually allowed to eat it. So when I eat it, I get bad stomach aches, but sometimes I do anyway, cause it's my favorite snack with, um, <laughs> with salt and nutritional yeast. Nice, 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 nice. What turns you on? Well, not to be redundant, but kindness and presence kindness presence really at this point that turns me on way more than the dude with his hoodie and he's like visibly nothing wrong with hoodies but like visibly emotionally unavailable i remember pointing i remember like, like pointing out to one. a friend <laughs> i remember pointing out to a friend early in sobriety like oh i really like that guy at new hope and, she, <laughs> and she's like alvarado and she's like um She's like, you do realize he's visibly emotionally unavailable. And I was like, yes. So. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> sounds, sounds like a challenge. That, is, that so doesn't turn me on anymore. I'm just like, that bore, That honestly, like it bores me. And with all the love and compassion, because I've been the emotionally a hot and unemotionally available person that other people like too. So I get it and doesn't turn me on anymore. Congratulations. Be with me. Be That's present. So be kind. <laughs> That's the ascendant oh spiral. Like it's the accumulation of all the hard work. It's like finally, I don't want the thing that it will hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my it's god. Nice. And I, I've not perfected. There's all the subtle ways that that continues to to be the work. Like you know, Real that continues. Talk. But but I'll tell you one more thing that turns me on is um music, and I uh, you know 
music in general, but like the the first song that comes to mind is Blood in the Cut. I can't I can't remember um the artist's name right now, but it is a super sexy song, Blood in the Cut. And then and then also that um Grimes Watch this later. <laughs> <laughs> the the Grimes r- Run Me Like a River, that you know, that river Run Me Like a River song. That is really hot too. <laughs> nice. K Flay? Love it. Is that it? What is it? Blood in the Cut, K-Flay, Sisa? That sounds right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Guitars. It's a, it's a super hot oh, song. Exciting. Thank you for sharing. That was like <laughs> yeah. beyond lightning round. We love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the last TV show you watched or book you read and thoroughly enjoyed? Oh, God. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying Fargo. Um, oh, oh, you know what I thought was so good? The Vow. Fuck. I haven't watched it, but what we, is it's that? About, it's I haven't about watched the, um, it. The cult, right? Um, the Nexium cult. Yeah, I do love a cult. I love a cult it series. Is super well done, and it okay. it's so well done. We would we were watching it. We we're like, how is this so good? How how did they do this? Like, is it a it's documentary just, or is it? It's a docu series, mm. yeah, and it's it's just ex the it's, it's expertly done. Um, I would Amazing. I would say they. The, they're, so they've set it up for a second season, and I kind of wish they had closed out this season a little bit differently, but that's really my only complaint. It was an amazing series. Awesome. Strong recommendation. Hurrah. Thank you. What is your favorite way to play? To play. Yeah, so playing is, is so, it's, it's something that I am honestly continuing to work on. Um, I love playing with my dog. Like, I I'm obsessed with my dog, so that is. We are talking to two people who are totally obsessed with our dog. I'm my dog is right here, two hundred percent, right here, right now. Let me see your dog. Let me see this child. (gasps) Look at that child. I can't. I like. Look at those ears. Describe him. He's so perfect. (laughs) He's so beautiful. Look at him. Hi, buddy. Mohawked old man. Yes, you could see him. He looks so wise. I'm sorry, buddy. Give me more dog a concussion. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, (laughs) Playing with my dog. um, You know, in the past, certainly sex was my favorite way to play. It's not currently my favorite way to play. Um, I I really – and I've always felt like I needed to find a different answer for this because it didn't seem recovered enough. But I actually love organizing – I find Ooh, it really fun. And Me too. I was told like, well, that's not playing. And I'm like, you Come know what? Again. It is. <laughs> it is playing. Like I love to organize. So, um, and I will say my house is not all that organized, but there are areas that are organized and like, and I love doing it. So I really have fun doing that. Um, and I, again, this isn't playing, but it's fun for me is like audiobooks. Like I just recently listened to um, a series, uh, the Obelisk Gate series, um, by S. K. Simmons, um, I believe is is her name. Um, I'm probably getting that wrong, but like for me, like, and my partner was listening to the book too. So like to listen to it and then to talk about all the cool sci-fi things that were happening, I find that really fun. That's just such a sweet Aww. way to connect. <laughs> what a beautiful way to connect. And what is on your? <laughs> what did you say, sweetie? Step, listen to podcasts. Yes. I love dancing too, um, by the way. That I find very, very fun. And I do dance. I try to dance a little bit every day. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's gorgeous. 
What's on your bedside table? So, um, <laughs> this is going to make me sound different than I am, but um, a Dostoevsky novel um, called Demons. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because for the first literally three years of my relationship, I had a Tolstoy novel on my bedside table, so my partner thought I was smart. <laughs> I have not read it. <laughs> Well, I am I am actually reading it. Um and I'm reading it because I'm in in like development for a feature that I'm going to be acting in, but I'm also kind of part of the creative team. Um oh. and the the director writer um is going to be leaning into Russian literature a fair amount for this film and so we have a book club. And so we read chunks and then we discuss. And I was so intimidated at the first book club. Like, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say about this. Like, and I was like, oh, actually, I have a lot to say. <laughs> and I'm finding, like, it's been a really, like, um, liberating experience to, like, read this and to understand it and to be able to talk about it. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Intellectual. <laughs> um, and, and finally, uh, today, what do you love? Hmm. Well, I, I love this time we spent together. I love my dog. I love myself. <laughs> I I really, really love my um my niece and my nephews and and you know, as hard as it is sometimes I really, really love life and I love human beings so much. Even even the really challenging ones. I love them. That's so awesome. And so we're gonna leave it there. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? You can find me at yourwildawakening.com and you can you can find me on Instagram, Jessica Clark Graham, and then over on Facebook. Um, feel free to come and hang out on my personal page on Facebook because I um, live stream meditation classes and stuff like that there as well. So, Hell yes. And what an amazing domain name, by the way. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. And thank you so much for joining us for this beautiful conversation. Uh, it's been a delight to have you on Sober Sex. Thank you for having me. Oh, oh, I wanted to just offer to your to your oh, listeners right. yes. if you want um, a guided, a mindful sex guided meditation practice, contact me through my website. Just send me an email and um, I'll send you a free practice. That's so generous. Thank you so much. Thank you.